Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter, Danny Prezi, and I'm here with Glossy Pops, Sarah Sprugfeiner. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, Danny. Yeah, it's exciting. This is your second time on the Week in Review podcast? Yes, right? yes. Still Great. a newbie. Okay. Still a newbie, but you're after this, you'll be a pro. Um, but yeah, today we're talking about a couple of fun things. We're going to talk about some of the new celebrity brands in beauty and skincare and fashion, particularly Sierra has a new brand that is launching this week or next week, I think. Um, but there are so many others, and we'll talk a little bit about whether the market can contain like 500 different like celebrity brands. Um, we'll also talk about Savage Fenty getting into loungewear, and finally Allure shuttering its print edition, which they announced this week. Um, but let's start with celebrity brands. Sarah, I feel like this is, I wanted to talk to you about this because Glossy Pop, I feel like it's exactly in your kind of wheelhouse. I feel like there are so many celebrity skincare brands. It feels like every celebrity must have a skincare brand. Um, you cover this way more than I do, but even my from my vantage point, just from hearing you guys talk about it, I feel like there's new ones all the time. Before we talk about Sierra, what's the sort of like landscape of celebrity brands? Is that is that accurate that there's like a million? That is extremely accurate. Um, I would say that we pretty much don't go a month without seeing one, if not sometimes two, celebrities launch a brand. Um, what really differentiates them uh, is often, and I know we're going to talk about this with regards to Sierra, um, is, you know, are they doing it on their own? Are they doing it with an incubator? Are they doing it with a partner. So there are different ways that these brands uh, come to be. But if you are a sort of certain type of A-list celebrity, the odds are that in the past three-ish years, you've launched a beauty brand. Um, I know that, you know, it used to be more common for it. It was, it was fragrance. Um, you know, you would have a fragrance maybe if you were Britney Spears or Paris Hilton or JLo, maybe you had a couple fragrances, and now it is it has evolved to be a full brand. Yeah, definitely. And and so you mentioned like kind of who they're working with when they launch these brands. So I was looking into this and I, I might have this wrong, but Sierra has a company that's called the House of LRNC um, that is like is the owner of like multiple brands that she's involved with. Um, Lita, which is an apparel brand that she owns, and then Good Man, which is a men's apparel brand that her husband, Russell Wilson, started. As far as I could tell, it seems like her new skincare brand, which, by the way, is called OAM. We didn't mention that. On a Mission, OAM. Uh, I don't think is affiliated with House of LRNC. I think it's its own separate thing. I think House of LRNC is just apparel, it seems like. Um, who Who is she? Is she just launching this on her own? Could you find anything about who she's working with on this or is it just an independent thing so basically what i read is that she enlisted three other women according to a story in allure on allure.com um she enlisted three other specialists so a dermatologist uh dr tiffany libby um a former Sally Beauty executive with a degree in biochemical engineering from MIT and a cosmetic chemist. Um, together, they worked with a team of board-certified dermatologists to clinically test the products. So it's, yeah, it does not seem like this was um, 
part of her uh, incubator that she has, but the other key person involved is her makeup artist, Yolanda Frederick Thompson, who she said she has been working with since she was 16. And in this interview, Sierra said, she's almost double my age, and I say that proudly because she looks amazing. She's the epitome of what beauty looks like and how you take care of yourself. Okay, so there are, there are some other partners involved, but yeah, like you said, it's not part of her incubator. From what I saw, I think it's five products to start in like the $30 to $60 range. It's like cleanser and serum and moisturizer. It seems to me, again, this is not my area, but it seemed to me like very standard, you know? It's like a couple of products, like all very like core skincare products. Um, and Sierra is like a good businesswoman. She's got other brands that have been running for several years. So like, I don't want to sound disparaging at all, but it does seem like it's kind of just standard. You know, it's like one of, like you said, the dozens of new celebrity brands that come out every month. Um, we've like written about on Glossy um, Road, Haley Bieber's skincare brand launched a, a couple months ago, I think, um, although they are also being sued at the same time. I don't think there's been any update on that yet um, by Road, the fashion brand. Uh, yeah, do you think that this particular brand, OAM, has, uh, I, I, I hesitate to say, like, does it have a chance? Because, like, I'm sure it will be fine, but it's sort of just, like, there's so many of these, like, does there does anything stand out about it to you compared to the the many other similar brands? Yeah, you know, I think it's really hard to say specifically. What I think I would say categorically is that not all of these celebrity brands will exist in a number of years. Um, so, for example, I actually have no idea what happened to Madonna's skincare line. Like, absolutely no idea. I occasionally, like, remember it and Google it, and I'm like, it seems like the website is operating, but I'm not sure. Um, and just in the beauty industry in general, I think it's really important to note that uh, a number of heritage brands, a brand H2O that had been around for 30 years announced it was shuttering, I believe, last week. So the saturation is really like at an all-time high. And, I, you know, it's funny. There's consumer... I see it... A bunch of different, I see a couple different perspectives when it comes to celebrity brands. On the one hand, there's always going to be the naysayer and there's always going to be the person being like, well, this person doesn't have the right to tell me how I should take care of my skin. And then, you know, I think, I don't know, Sierra has millions and millions of followers on Instagram. Um, there's always going to be the people who are like, I love Sierra and I will buy whatever she tells me to buy, whether it's apparel, I earlier in the year covered yet another brand. Uh, she has Dare to Roam that created um, backpacks. Um, so she clearly is entrepreneurial, has her hands in a lot of different, not only companies, but industries across uh, different categories. So there's obviously something to be said for that. Um, but the definitely the consumer sentiment for people that follow the beauty industry, you know, I see a lot of comments that are just like another one or kind of a eye roll. And to be honest, I don't think it's about at this point the celebrity in particular so much as yeah. you know you you know what I mean. It's yeah, like yeah. it's not even that it's not even the individual anymore. It's the concept, and it's the concept of like it's the concept of celebrity being an avenue to creating a business when, you know, we're maybe heading into a recession, we're in, in a pandemic where, you know, so many people 
don't have financial opportunity. And I think there's a little bit of a, um, of a sort of negative sentiment of a, almost like a, it sounds so juvenile, but like it's un- unfairness that these yeah. celebrities get to, you know, just create these companies. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think in some ways that I was going to ask about this, but you kind of already mentioned it. It's like, it doesn't quite correlate the success of the brand with the current fame of the the celebrity because like obviously like you said Sierra has millions of followers and and very beloved but I feel like she's not been quite in like the center of the spotlight for for a couple of years like um in you know in the way that some other singers or celebrities are but if you have that uh initial like capital to start the brand obviously and also the name recognition to like get the initial like marketing and and buzz and audience like that's something that a lot of brands don't have when it's just started by someone you've never heard of and then but once you're like past that that initial thing where you've got the brand up and running and people have heard of it then it sort of like doesn't matter as much whether you are a particularly like relevant or famous celebrity at this moment because the brand's already up and running you know I mean that's been a huge question and something that comes up in my interviews all the time because, okay, so I just did a quick look and it looks like Sierra herself has over 32 million followers on Instagram, which is obviously colossal. OAM has a little over 2000, which is very Mm -hmm. small. Now, look, it's two days old, so we're not going to, we're not going to judge it on that. But, um, the, the question now, and, and notably OAM is not called Sierra skincare, you know? So, right. Nowadays, that's a huge thing. Maybe a celebrity gets you your first sales bump, but is that gonna um, is that gonna be enough to drive repurchasing? When it comes to skincare, you know, people want efficacy. Um, what I will say is that the hero ingredient of this line is vitamin C. That's a time tested ingredient. It's an antioxidant. It's used for skin brightening, overall skin health. Um, it's often used to combat hyperpigmentation, which is a more common skin concern in BIPOC communities. So I can see that being part of the storytelling around the brand. But it's just too soon to tell, not just for OAM, but for many celebrity brands, if that personality will be enough to keep the brand going. Um, you know, when will their next launch be in beauty there are new launches every day. And so it's it's so much more frequent than like the fashion calendar um, that to sustain consumer interest. And, and this is, you know, a whole other conversation, but to sustain consumer interest, you have to be having pretty frequent launches. And sometimes these celebrity brands launch and then they maybe don't launch anything else. And, you know, by the time they have another launch, it's like five other celebrities have launched a brand. I think that uh, one thing, one little thing I want to say on celebrity brands is that uh, so many people have them in the past couple, in the past year, we've seen Gwen Stefani, Scarlett Johansson, countless big, big celebrities with big, big followings, but Beyonce and Taylor Swift don't. And mm. <laughs> I don't know what that. The nef- sleeping giants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. That literally, because like those are the two that would, you know, sell things out in an instant. And the queens are are kind of widely considered now to be um, Selena Gomez with Rare Beauty and, of course, Rihanna with Fenty. Um, and it kind of remains to be seen if anyone else can do what those two have done. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, speaking of Rihanna, um, perfect segue, because uh, I also wanted to talk about Savage Fenty, which is not beauty, but it is a celebrity brand in a way, um, in the apparel space. And there's tons of celebrity apparel brands too. It doesn't seem quite as saturated as beauty, but I mean, like Jill and I on this podcast have talked frequently about the Tom Brady brand, Brady, which I just think is so funny. Um, but there, there's a lot there too. And Savage Fenty is, again, one of the, I think, more successful ones. Um, the news this week is that they are, they've, you know, they've done a lot of like uh, lingerie, obviously, and other stuff. But this week they're launching loungewear, which is sort of one of those vague categories that I think is kind of interesting because they described it as like elevated basics, sweatpants, joggers, hoodies, T-shirts. And I was like, so it's just clothing in general kind of at this point. Like all of those things just feel totally normal. Um and the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like there's been a lot of hand-wringing about, like, you know, during the pandemic, everyone was wearing sweatpants, and now it's like, oh, everyone's going to wear suits and ball gowns again now. And I don't think that's really been true, even as there's more events and things to go to. It feels like athleisure or activewear or loungewear, whatever you want to call this, like, category of people wearing, like, sweatpants and leggings just feels, like, so utterly, like, normal and, like, so common that it just feels like that's going to be like a permanent part of the fashion landscape. Um, so Sarah, your, your obviously expertise is in the pop world, which we define as sort of like influencers and Gen Z and like consumer focused kind of stuff. Is there, is there a lot of like people in this area of like what we'd call like loungewear, activewear, whatever that you think are like particularly influential. There's a couple of like ambassadors for this new Savage Fenty thing that I personally had never heard of. Um, I don't know. What have you seen in the, in the pop world in this kind of space? Uh, as we were saying that it reminded me of this recent, um, I believe it was swim. So I know that's not exactly the same, but this recent, I think that's related. Okay. A lot of that stuff like looks exactly the same. Okay. Thank you. Um, this recent skims campaign that was, mm-hmm. I believe Paris Jackson, Bella Porch, and someone else that all seemed kind of like, you know, interesting, surprising choices um, for skims. It's also always interesting when you see celebrity brands using other celebrities. There's something about that. Um, and it is, it's notable, I think, when there's a celebrity brand and, like, all the campaigns are just that one celebrity, you know? Like, and I think it's notable, at least from my um Observation: I don't think Rihanna is like super visible in a lot of Savage Fenty campaigns anymore, and she definitely was earlier on. But it's such a, it's just a brand now. And like you mentioned, Rare Beauty with Selena Gomez. I feel like uh, maybe this is wrong, but I feel like Rare Beauty is just like a brand. Like it's not like too tied just to Selena Gomez anymore. I mean, I think that's one of its key successes, and I, I'm not going to talk about Rare Beauty for as, as, as the half hour that I could, but that's part of why they've done such a great job. She's there sort of, you know, her fans know she's there. She is in plenty of imagery. She does wear and talk about the makeup, but the brand exists without her as well, um, which is what I think a celebrity brand done right, whether it's apparel or beauty, it it can stand with with that person um, lending their star power. And it can also be a good product to a consumer that maybe if you're lucky likes it and doesn't even know that it was yeah. you know founded I by actually that was person. recently at a a pop-up experience kind of thing in Manhattan for the 
the show Only Murders in the Building that was like with, uh, which has Selena Gomez in the cast. And like the pop-up was like with Rare Beauty. And they had this whole thing where like, they had like a paint by numbers sort of like canvas on the wall and you could like fill in different sections with like Rare Beauty markers, I guess, that were like matched the different shades of their products and stuff. I went through the whole thing like completely forgetting that she's involved with that brand at all. And I, the whole time I was like, sort of kind of a weird uh, combination <laughs> of IP here. Like this, like this kind of like fusty, like New Yorker kind of TV show. And then like a sort of new hip fun beauty brand. And that wasn't until at the very end, I like remembered that that's her brand. Um, anyway, we're far from, from Rihanna and Savage <laughs> 20 now, but I, it, I don't know. Did you hear about that? Campaign. I was thinking about you guys on the the beauty team when I was there. I d- I was devastated to miss that event. I mm. wanted to go. I believe that it was uh, a Thursday, which is when I write the pop newsletter. Um, uh, I was yes, it looked like great fun, and I'm a huge huge Only Murders in the Building fan. And what was interesting about that was that it was the first collaboration that Rare Beauty has ever done. So just a fun oh. fact about that. Wow, I didn't um, know that. But even there, like they didn't they didn't make the connection to Selena Gomez like overly explicit. Like I was like stupid and should have put it together, but I don't think there was a ton of indication. Like you said, they sort of just rare beauty is the brand itself. And and like people know the connection. People smarter than me remember it, but um, but they don't like make a it's not their only trick, you know. Yeah, no, totally. And the sh- and the show is also beloved and has, you know, Steve Martin and uh Martin Short and can, the show can also stand on its own. So it's yeah. like two things that are great independently yeah. and fun together. So yeah, exactly. I, that's good marketing, right? Like that's like, you know, just clever marketing. So um, yeah, and it's interesting because now I'm thinking about it. I don't think Rare Beauty has tapped other celebrities, but Savage Fenty, I recently met um, the actress Madison Pettis uh, at a beauty event because she's a spokesperson for the Gen Z skincare brand Bubble. And I followed her on Instagram. She's so lovely. I loved her. And she is also a spokesperson for Savage Fenty. And she does like, you know, sponsored Instagram posts um, for them. I've mostly seen like lingerie posts, not really um, loungewear. But to your, you know, just jumping back to your original point, I personally you know, we, we primarily work from home. Uh, my loungewear has not gone anywhere. <laughs> um. Yeah. I am wearing what you'd call loungewear right now, which is also just the like pajamas, basically. Um, there was, um, there's, uh, uh, one of the ambassadors for the Savage Fenty thing is Dove Cameron. Um, I had to like look her up. I just, I had no idea who she was. Um, is that somebody that you are familiar with in the pop area? Like, does she show up in a lot of other brand stuff or is she, does this kind of like the first thing for her? You know, I don't know her brand deal history, but I do know that she was a Disney channel star. I can't, mm. I would have to Google, uh, what show or what, uh, where she yeah, came up. For, yeah. Um, she's definitely young. <laughs> she's, I believe yeah. Gen Z. Um, and she is also, um, a member of the LGBTQ community. And I know that she has a very big TikTok following uh, adjacent to the LGBTQ community, as well as around her music. So I think mm. that 
Uh, although I'm a little aged out of her demographic, um, (laughs) I think she's, uh, quite big and probably a more strategic pick for Savage Fenty than I even realized. Yeah, no, that's, that's the impression I get. Sometimes I hear about these people and I'm like, I don't know who that is, but it feels like a big deal. Um, let's move on to our last topic. We'll just talk about it a little bit, but um, you mentioned Allure Magazine earlier, and they actually announced earlier this week that um, their December 22 print edition is going to be their last issue of the of the print magazine. Um, but it doesn't seem like, from what I saw, that there's anything too crazy other than that. Like, there, I don't think anybody's getting laid off. I think they only said, a, like, two or three people, our, our jobs will be affected. Um they're still like, seems like doing well. They're switching to just a focus on digital and they have a brick and mortar shop in Soho. That's going to be a big part of their strategy going forward, which actually just had a partnership with Ulta. Um, Sarah, I feel like you've been in this sort of like media space for a while before Glossy. Um, uh, I don't know. What were your thoughts on Allure? Like, did you, were you an avid reader or, or are you an avid reader? And I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think it's hard not to answer this. Uh, you know, as like the little girl version of myself that once upon a time would um, literally edit magazines with a pen. Um, (laughs) And uh, I liked to make commentary really dorky, but that was sort of uh, how I discovered that I wanted to work in this world. And um, by the time I graduated in 2013, uh, the the writing really was on the wall. You know, magazines were closing left and right. There were layoffs happening. Uh, they were trying to figure out how to go digital. So I'm not surprised um, at all. I'm, it's, it's sad, you know, it's sad to see um, print magazines fold. But then at the same time, okay, like, for example, one place where maybe I would have read a magazine as a holdout is imagine I'm alone on a Sunday uh, getting a manicure pedicure. Maybe while I'm getting a pedicure, that would be while I got a uh, while I bleh, where I read a paper magazine. But if I'm being honest with myself and with you, for the past couple of years, I've been on my phone. Uh, of course, I'm, yeah. <laughs> while I'm I think doing even that. the most dedicated like print lover. Um, like it's hard to deny that it's just like so much easier and more common and more affordable and like for the consumer, like just better in every, not better, but easier in like every way. Um, I also like you, I didn't edit them, but I did like obsessively read GQ as a kid and teenager. And I had a subscription like, and I used to get them all the time. I think it wasn't until college that I stopped getting them because I didn't want them delivered to like my dorm room. Um, but I really loved that. I loved getting it. Even at that point, like, because I graduated in 2015, like, even at that point, there was plenty of, like, online stuff and print was already kind of, like you said, uh, it was clear that print was not necessarily, like, the biggest deal anymore, but I still liked it. And um, even now, like, I don't have any more style or, like, fashion, like, subscriptions, but I do get the New York Review of Books, the New Yorker, and the Paris Review, like, delivered, and I love those all so much, like, and I... I do not read every issue of The New Yorker because it's too much, but I try to. Um, well, you're an intellectual. I get Vogue and L. <laughs> those are good, too, and those are intellectual, I would say. Um, anyway, I did want to brag that I do get the Paris Review. So, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
the the brick and mortar shop. The last thing we'll, we'll just talk about the the allure brick and mortar shop sounds really interesting to me. I definitely have noticed for a lot of media companies, especially in our space, like um, having some sort of shopping component seems like a a common thing right now. Uh, a lot of the streetwear media companies, like Hypebeast and High Society, have extremely robust like e commerce arms. Um, Allure has, I think, e commerce as well as this brick and mortar shop. Right? They they have an online store. I should have checked this. Let me see. Uh, Allure has an e- uh, uh, brick and mortar store, but they also have a subscription box that oh. I definitely can't claim to be an expert on, but I hear is very successful. Yeah. So that's just interesting, and and it's nice. I mean, we both work in media. I don't want media companies to struggle and have it be this like kind of really unstable business. So it's, it's nice that there's like, you know, a lot of companies are finding a way to, I don't know, support themselves through, through other channels. We have a glossy pop shop now, right? Glossy shop, glossy pop. Yeah. Yeah. So we do, you know, we do things obviously a little differently. And the Allure store is also a super unique model. I wrote about that last summer when it opened. Um, it is a paid model. So brands um, pay to be there. I don't know how that um, transferred for the Ulta partnership. I, I That I can't speak to. Um, but they, they really interestingly um, merchandised it to be corresponding to almost like magazine headlines and even stories that they had done. Um, the pop shop, which is brand brand new, um, it's completely organic because Glossy obviously has roots in being a trade publication. Um, nothing that, you know, we do is really ever impacted. Um, I feel very lucky that none of the stories I write are impacted by, like, advertiser demands or anything. So it's really just um, purely organic, but it is connected to affiliate. And this is our parent company, Digiday's first ever time Um working with affiliate networks. Um, so yes, when you read about, you know, the, the beauty launches that I cover or, uh, for example, two weeks ago, I wrote about something Navy's fashion brand and we linked to like a new three-piece suit in her fall collection. And if you click over from the Glossy Pop newsletter to the Glossy Pop shop, uh, theoretically, yes, we would get a small commission and that is just part of the media business nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like like you said in our space, like because we write about so much like consumer stuff, like it I feel like it's a good way to just add an extra revenue stream without like too much disruption to the business. But obviously lots of other media companies do it like, you know, in tons of different ways. So um but I think we will call it there. Sarah, this was so fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, for those of you listening, if you have not given us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, please do so. It really helps us out a lot. Um, and if you haven't yet, you should subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because every Friday I do the Week in Review podcast, uh, sometimes with Jill Manoff, sometimes with Sarah Spierkfeiner, uh, sometimes with other members of the Glossy team. And then every Wednesday, Jill interviews some cool, smart industry insider in the fashion business. So definitely give us a subscribe if you want to hear more of that. Sarah, once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. 